Uh, if you would uh, grab your scriptures and we're going to turn to the book of James, uh, James chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start in verse 14. Or we're going to continue to take a, a slight break or detour from the book of Hebrews uh, this, uh, this morning. And next week we'll get back into it uh, as we uh, move forward. reason I want to look at uh, the book of James, or in this passage uh, particularly, is just in, in light of uh, last Sunday, and Easter, and uh, all of our talk about uh, resurrection, uh, the testimonies that we heard of people, uh, individuals like Mary, her uh, discovery of the risen Christ, Thomas and his discovery of the risen Christ, the disciples we looked at briefly, and their discovery of the risen Christ. Uh, and, and for us to answer the question, if if Christ rose from the dead and I believe in him and I trust in him and I'm looking to him to, for forgiveness and, and to be the God in my life, to be the Lord of my life, what does that uh, look like? Um, how do we um, process that in our, in our daily lives, uh, in the ins and outs of Mondays and Wednesdays and Saturday mornings and the evenings? Just functionally, what does faith look like in our lives? Many passages we could turn to, and I think James chapter uh, 2, starting in verse 14, helps us uh, to kind of begin that dialogue with ourselves and our understanding of what faith looks like in our lives. And so as you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, uh, James chapter 2, uh, starting in verse uh, 14, and I'll read through chapter tw- uh, verse 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scriptures were fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. Let's pray together. Father God, uh, this is a heavy passage. Uh, it's very practical in nature. And um, we pray you would help us to understand it, to grasp it, uh, to see what it is uh, to believe in a resurrected Lord, to have faith in you. We ask in Christ's name, amen. If you would please be seated. Uh, James is, is asking uh, really one question. He's, he's asking us this morning, what is faith? And by that I mean, what does faith functionally look like 
in our lives, in the day-to-day activity? What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to, to say that we're a follower of, of Jesus Christ, the one that we gave testimony to last week, that he rose from the dead? What does it mean to follow him? And James does his part in answering that question by basically providing four illustrations uh, that we see in this text. Uh, two of those illustrations are negative, and two of those illustrations are more positive, uh, if you will. And that's really going to be our outline as we think about uh, how we are going to process this passage, those four illustrations uh, for us. But before we dive into some of the details, let's define a little bit uh, what I mean by faith and what I mean by works. Uh, when I say faith, what I mean in general here is a trust in God that obeys God. A trust that obeys God. That's what we're looking at when we talk about faith from this passage When we talk about works, this is what I want you to keep in mind. Works in the sense of a life of loving God and loving others. When I think about works, I want you to think about it as a life of loving God and loving others. Now, when I say a life, I don't mean a perfect life where you perfectly love God. You perfectly love others. The idea is not perfection, but it's it's progress. It's participation. That's where you're you're going as we think about uh, works in the Christian life. And so let's look at the four uh, illustrations, okay? The first one, what we see with this one is genuine faith is visible. Genuine faith is visible. Look at verse 15. James says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? James is basically providing, this is a realistic situation uh, that they that the readers of this letter could be experiencing and seeing something that we see today somebody who is not doing well they're 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 hungry okay not like they missed a meal and they just forgot Uh, their clothes are a mess and they're uh, down not because they can't uh, go to the gap and get new clothes it's because they can't even afford to go to goodwill and and get something there it's it's that bad it's that uh, serious for them and basically, the response that James articulates here from the believer is basically saying, good wishes, you know, be warmed and be filled. I hope it works out for you. Uh, one commentator expresses it like this. When he says, uh, warm yourself and feed yourself, what he's trying to communicate is, I wish you well as you take care of yourself. You look cold. You ought to try and get warm. You look skinny. You should try to eat more. It's that picture of the, the Christian's response is just good wishes and you know, I hope that works out for you, and, and uh, I'm really pulling for you. You know, think of an unemployed uh, person uh, saying to them, well, you know, you just hang in there, and I'm sure something is going to come about. Or a, a single mom who's struggling to take care of their children uh, because of her schedule and the demands with work, and somebody says, seeing that need, says, well, you know, you look really tired. You, you need to get more rest. And you can see how empty that is, uh, how worthless that is, and that's James's you know, our, our faith needs to be visible. Uh, it, it does nobody any good to wish them good wishes and say, you know, our thoughts are with you and I hope things work out the best for you when all along you could be that individual that God is using to answer their prayer for help or for practical needs in the midst of their situation. What good is your faith if it's not visible, if it's not showing itself? in some shape or some form. 
I think is what James is trying to drive home with this illustration. Now, before we, we go along and we go around and we tend to, to try to label people, what's like, do they have genuine faith or they have an empty faith? Is their faith, faith for real or is it more of a fraud? That's not our role, and you can think about how difficult it is for us to do that. You know, we may, there, there's a difference between catching somebody that's being inconsistent in your faith versus somebody that has an empty faith or it just gives verbal uh, confession to what they believe, but there, there's really nothing there. Uh, there's just a, a difference for, to see somebody that's struggling in their faith, struggling to live the Christian life, versus somebody who just an absence. There's an absence of desire to, to know God and walk with him. And all James is, is getting at is to ask yourself some questions, to ask yourself, where's, how am I showing forth my faith? Where, where is it visible? Where, where am I practicing it? Uh, where is it present in my life, in my day today? Now, at this point, or maybe another point uh, in this message, it may be instinctive for us to say, okay, I, I believe in resurrection, I believe in everything we confess, the Apostles' Creed, you know, that's me. I, I think that's completely true. And we may instinctively think, okay, I, I believe in the right things, now I just need to add. Now I just need to add works. Now I just need to, to, to ramp up my to-do list and ramp up my schedule, uh, and then I'll, then I'll be okay. I just need to add these good works. That's not James's point. James's point is that, that there's a, a love for God or a faith in God that, that transforms us, that changes us, that moves us to be visible, moves us to do uh, things for others, that, that shows uh, forth uh, what it is. In other words, it's that recognition of God saw me when I was completely helpless in, in my sin and my confusion and so on and so forth. And because he did that for me, I want to do that and be that for other people. Okay, let's go on. Number, number two, the second illustration. Uh, genuine faith is more than saying the right thing. Genuine faith is more than saying the right thing. Look at verses 18 and 19. James writes, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God, good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. What James is doing, given in this illustration, he's imagining a, a scenario or a conversation, uh, so to speak, a hypothetical conversation. And somebody basically says, you know what, you have works, and that's what you do. You do stuff for other people. That's your gifting. Uh, my gift is, is faith. It's, it's believing. It's, it's knowledge. It's understanding. And what this person is doing is it's separating uh, these two things, making this kind of distinction. And so they would uh, answer that scenario that we just talked about. The person that does something good for them, that's their gift. That, that they have the gift of, of works, of helping or meeting those, those needs. That's, that's not who I am, and that's why I shouldn't be involved in, in having my faith be visible because I, I, I just believe, I have faith. I have an understanding of stuff. Other people uh, do things for others. But that's, that fails to catch James's point, and he says... Uh, quite poignantly, I will show you my faith by what I do. Works demonstrate what we believe. They demonstrate what is real. Y- y'all maybe been around people, and um, they like to talk a lot in the sense of they like to t- brag, maybe too strong of a word, but you know, emphasize all the things that they can do. And it's like, oh, I can do this, I can do that. 
And then that person kind of leaves the room and you're still with your, your buddies. And there's the kind of mentality of, you know, he talks a good game, but he really can't follow that up uh, at all. Uh, a couple summers ago, I remember watching, they had a, a documentary, a sports documentary, I guess. And it was a film crew th- following around the, the New York Jets a couple seasons ago. And um, he, the coach at the time, very outspoken, very verbose, loved to talk. And, and that's why he was great to document, because he had always something great to say, and it was great to, to, to film it all. And he spent a lot of time saying, you know, our team is the team to beat, basically, this season. Uh, the Jets, we're going to take it to them, we're, we're going to do it, so on and so forth. First game of the season, uh, they lose 10-9, to which may not sound like a big deal. It's only lost by one point, 10-9. to but that you look at all the stats uh, from the game, third down conversions, interceptions, all that kind of stuff, they lost in every stat. Uh, they did horrible. The score really didn't reflect how bad uh, the team is doing. And, of course, being the New York Jets, that the press got a hold of that, and they just hammered him day in and day out. Why? Because his words were empty. Uh, he said one thing, but his actions did not follow it up at all. And that's what James is, is trying to get us to see, that it's one thing to, to believe, it's one thing to say the right things, but are your actions reflecting what you believe? He uses this illustration, I think quite pointedly, of, of demons. And he says, okay, th- that's good that you believe. It's good you believe that God is one. It's good to have a knowledge of him and an understanding of him, a, a, the right orthodoxy of who God is, the God of the Bible. But you know what? Even the demons believe that. Even the demons believe that, that he is one. And they think about the day of judgment, and they shudder. In other words, they have the right orthodoxy. They believe the right things. Where is that getting them? It's still not going to end up good for them. Because they have no love for God. That They have no desire for his glory and for his honor. And so James is making the point, is that it's not our confession of faith sometimes that's the problem. It's not that we have a grasp of, on the truth of things. Our problem sometimes is putting feet to that. Is following through and ref- living lives that reflect that truth. Sometimes our problem is, is letting that confession move past our heads to our hearts, where it transforms us, where it changes us, where it does something to us. Well, those are the pictures of false faith, if you will, the negative illustrations. He gives two illustrations of more positive faith and more uh, helpful, truer faith. And the first one is comes from Abraham. And this one I want to say is genuine faith is a trust relationship. You think about genuine faith, it's a trust relationship. He pulls out Abraham, which if you've been around the Bible a while, you know that Abraham's a big deal in the Old Testament, and he would be a great guy to turn to. And he turns to him as somebody who says, this is somebody that embodies uh, true faith because of their true relationship uh, with the Lord. Background on Abraham and the incident that he's talking about here, Abraham was called out. He said, I, God said to him, I want you to, to leave your home, and I've got a great place for you, and I'm going to give you a son. The only problem was that Abraham and Sarah were of the age where it would be hard for them to conceive. They were barren at this point, and they were getting up in years. Uh, Abraham was about 75, and Sarah was about 65. And yes, I know people lived to around 120 at that day, uh, but still, it would be like somebody in their 40s today, uh, having a child, it's, it can happen, but, you know, it's just not very common at all. And so James, or excuse me, Abraham, at one point in Genesis 15, God takes him outside and says, look at the stars in the heaven. He says, Abraham looks and says, this is how many descendants you're going to have. This is how great you're going to be. 
And in verse 6 of chapter 15, God says it was counted to him as righteousness. Counted to him as righteousness. So think about the, the order here. That, that, God, that Abraham is displaying faith in God and there's acceptance. It's counted to him as righteousness. And then you get to Genesis chapter 22. And this is that moment where they have Isaac, they have the son. And God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham says, yeah, okay. okay. And there's that, that stirring scene as Abraham and Isaac are walking up on the mountain. Uh, Isaac's got the wood. Uh, Abraham's got the knife. And they've got the equipment to make this sacrifice. And Isaac knows it's going to be a sacrifice. And painfully, Isaac turns to his father and says, you know, we have all this stuff. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide. It's a heartbreaking moment. But what Abraham is teaching us here is that, that faith is that trust relationship. He knows that at the end of the day, God is going to provide somehow for what he's asked Abraham to do. When we get to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to see that Abraham was thinking that God could raise him from the dead if it was necessary. And so my question that, that James is asking us, I think, is how do we know that Abraham's faith is real? His faith was real because it got him up that mountain. It got him to pull that knife out and hold it over his son. It got him to, to that point to make a sacrifice. Verse uh, 24, my translation, I'm looking at it, reads it like this, because some of you may be thinking, okay, I'm not sure how this fits with other parts of Scripture. Uh, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. If you've been around the church or the Bible long enough, you know that, well, aren't we saved by grace? You know, it's nothing that we do, but it's completely given to us. We're just saved by our faith, our faith in Christ. How is it that James can make these statements about all the works that we need to do? It feels like he's teaching us something different from maybe what we've heard in the book of Romans with, with Paul and how he describes uh, justification. Well, the best explanation I've heard is, is to make a distinction of how the word justify uh, is used. Paul uses justify in the sense of referring to our initial declaration of forgiveness, our initial declaration of salvation, if you will, where God um, says to us that you're forgiven in, in a legal way. There's nothing more in, in his law court, so to speak, that we owe him, that we're accepted. Our guilt has been taken care of. Our, our punishment's been doled out to Christ. But James uses justify in the sense of to demonstrate to be right, to validate something to prove it to be true, which is beautiful what we see with, with Abraham. He's using Abraham to, still, to illustrate for us that, that Abraham's faith or Abraham's actions and his obedience demonstrated, validated, showed us that his faith was true, that it was genuine, that it was really there. Remember in Genesis chapter 15, he was justified before God. And it wasn't until Genesis chapter 22 that he did this act uh, of obedience there. And this is why I say genuine faith is a trust relationship. It, it gives, um, it demonstrates or it, it shows us uh, that we believe uh, in him. Last illustration. A genuine faith is what defines us. Genuine faith is what defines us. And for this, uh, James, interestingly enough, goes to Rahab. He says, let's talk about Rahab and her positive example of faith. Rahab was the prostitute uh, that we meet in the Old Testament. She is the one that uh, uh, 
I'll put it like this. Joshua and the Israelites are about to go into the promised land, okay? Jericho, where Rahab lives, that's that first city they're going to attack. The Israelites send spies into Jericho to scout it out, to see what's, what's going to go down and what they need to be prepared for. And Rahab gets wind of this, and she meets them, and she says to them basically, hey, I know about your God. I know what he's done in the past. I'm aligning myself with you. I, I, I believe in him. My faith is in him, so to speak. And because of that, the kings in the town of Jericho get, get wind of what's going on, and they get wind that she's at Rahab's house. But Rahab, unbeknownst to them, said, all right, spies, you go this way, and I'm going to tell them a different story so you'll be safe and secure. That was Rahab acting by faith. That was Rahab's obedience or Rahab's works because of her faith. She had no idea what was going to happen. The, the kings or the, the, the cops of Jericho could have taken her, could have thrown her in prison forever. They could have killed her on the spot. Uh, but that doesn't happen to her. And Rahab is an example, according to James, of somebody that's putting feet to their faith, demonstrating their faith uh, for us to follow in, a demonstration of genuine faith. But think about this for a moment. Why Rahab? She's so unlikely. I mean, she's described as a prostitute. You could have gone to Joshua. You could have gone to, to one of the, somebody like Caleb. You could have gone to, to Moses or David or countless other individuals in the scripture. Why does the author of James, or why does James go to Rahab? I think there's a couple of good reasons uh, for it. The first is we can say this. Rahab is an example of, of, of implying to us that anybody is capable of acting out his or her faith. Whether you are uh, a, a good, faithful Israelite, that's somebody that knows the moral law, or you're somebody that comes from a more uh, different background that's opposed to maybe a church environment. Uh, and in other words, keeping the law doesn't define us. Having that, that moral, ethical background, James is saying, that's not what defines you. What defines you is your faith, is your belief, is your trust, and how you're in, uh, living that out in your life, how you're giving action to that, how you're responding to that in your life. Are you living upon your life based upon your faith in him? So four things we've seen. Our faith is visible. Uh, our, our faith is more than saying the right thing. Uh, it's a trust relationship. And lastly, faith or, or trusting God is something that, an obedience to God is something that defines us. Okay. Let me give uh, four quick points of application, and then I'll, I'll close in prayer. The first thing is this, is that faith initiates, faith drives, faith, faith works in us, or faith compels us to action. It, it's one thing to say, don't hear James saying, I believe the right thing, that's part, of your, that's part of what it means to be saved. The other part of being saved is component number two, is, is doing the right thing uh, works, so to speak. He's not saying those two things put together uh, get one saved. What he's saying is that your faith should compel you to action. Your faith in God, your understanding of who he is, your love for him, the knowledge of him should be such that it's slowly over time transforming you and changing you where you're moving out and you're putting feet to that. It's, it becomes more visible to other people. It moves us forward. And Abraham is an example of that. His belief in God transformed him, was changing him as he moved out in obedience. The second thing is, is this, and this is close on the heels. 
Uh, sanctification flows from justification. What I, mean, what I mean by sanctification, I mean living the Christian life, becoming more like Christ. And justification, what I mean by that is, is salvation, uh, being born again, uh, being accepted by God. Our justification is the basis of our growing in Christ-likeness. In other words, we obey because we are accepted, because we, he does love us, he has forgiven us, he's done all these things for us. That's why I want to live for him. That's why I want to do these works. That's why I want to love God and, and love my neighbor because of what he's done for me. Our justification is the basis, is the foundation of our sanctification, growing more to be like him. Uh, Martin Luther gives, uh, said something in his commentary, in the beginning of his commentary in the book of Romans that I thought was really compelling about faith. And he writes this. He says, oh, it's a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good things incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done this and is constantly doing them. You get that picture? It's not asking, do I need to do this or not? It just responds. It just does. It just goes forth with action. Another way to put it like this is, as you're resting in the gospel as you're preaching the gospel to yourself, as you're reading God's word and seeing the promises that, that somehow gets into us, that transforms us, and we want to love others. We want to love God more so. It's, it's changing us. Again, we may not do it perfectly. We may stumble and fall. We may be clumsy in that, but we're moving in that direction. Number three, uh, we need to take the risk of faith. We need to take the risk of faith. In other words, God calls us to certain actions, and we're not going to know the outcome. God calls us to take steps of faith, and we're not going to know how it's all going to pan out. You think about Abraham, for example. He was called to sacrifice his son. He had no idea exactly how that was going to happen. That if, when he did this, this was going to happen, and that was going to happen, and that was going to happen. He just knew that God was faithful. He just knew that God was powerful. You think about Rahab. Rahab felt called to, to hide the spies and to detour the officials and deceive them, but she didn't know how it was going to land for her. She could have been thrown in prison. She could have been killed or executed. She didn't know. She didn't know exactly how it was going to happen, but she took the risk of faith. There may be something in your life that you need to take the risk of faith with, that God's calling you to do that. It may be an awkward conversation. It may be dealing with conflict in a relationship. It may be um, juggling how we're spending our time and our scheduling of things, and you don't know how that's going to impact this or that. But sometimes faith means taking the risk attached that goes with it. Last thing, I said that we are not saved by works. That's true, but it's not true at the same time. We're, technically, we are not saved by works. We're saved, we are saved by works. It's just not our works. It's the work of Christ that saves us. It's the work of the cross that saves us. It's what we celebrated, you know, last Sunday and even the Sunday before on Palm Sunday. Christ going into that garden, for example, uh, saying, not my will, but your will be done. Christ being executed. Christ living that perfect life and dying that perfect death. That work saves us. And that work should be transforming us. It should be changing us. We should be uh, immersing ourselves into that gospel message, into that good news, and we're left a different person. We leave our anxiety behind. We leave our fear behind, 
We embrace his joy and his peace and his confidence. We leave behind our timidity. We embrace his boldness that he gives to us, for example. There's transformation there as we allow that to sink into us. And James's message is, yes, you are saved by faith, but that faith is not alone. That faith comes with action. It comes with visibility. It comes with that faith defining who you are and giving feet uh, to what you profess to believe. Would you pray with me? Father, this uh, faith that you call us to, to be compelled by love for you, to be compelled by your good news, to be compelled by uh, the testimony that we read in Scripture's on resurrection day. Father, we, we know where we fall short. Uh, we know where the spots in our lives where we're absent uh, in, in works, in fruit. And we can only ask that you would uh, point us to who you are more fully, all that you are for us, your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, your promises, and that you would give us a direction of how to display that, how to make that visible in the many, many ways that are possible. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.